Welcome to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast. Well, many thanks for joining us on the Journal of Biophilic Design. We're thrilled to be joined by Oliver Heath, who's leading sustainability and biophilic design expert. Obviously, many of you know him from the TV and, um, and from many different appearances he's done um, at different uh, shows and events, and, um, and he, he writes as well. <laughs> so, um, Oliver, many thanks for joining us. That's a pleasure. Lovely to join you again. <laughs> Great. Um, yeah, we've uh, we we spoke first in September 2020. So people who are listening, I encourage you to go to the Journal of Biophilic Design.com and uh, check out the podcast we did there, and also on YouTube uh, channel on the Journal of Biophilic Design. So um, we've got lots to talk about today. Uh, there's loads and loads of things that have been happening with you. Um, really, really exciting, and it's a really exciting time for biophilic design um, as well. And um, and thanks for everything that you're doing to get people to embraced biophilic design you've making it really really accessible to everybody um obviously one of the things that you're going to be talking to us about today is your new book um design a healthy home uh, by <laughs> came out uh, just last week actually it's, it's very exciting it's been a, a studio collaborative effort yeah uh yeah and it's uh, it's been it's been quite a while in the making it's basically a sort of very easy accessible design guide for how to uh design your home for physical and mental well-being. So uh, we've basically sort of subdivided the ideas into a hundred easy, accessible ways. And um, you know, what we want to do is encourage everybody to understand that health and well-being isn't just an unnecessary extra or an add-on, but it's an essential component to create happier and healthier places to live. That's, that's fantastic. Well, we'll talk about that in, the, in, the, in, a, in a bit. And um, we've also got this. Um, with the enrollments now open for your uh, new course as well, the biophilic design in the home. So that kind of marries up. So looking forward to that. It's on three different levels where people can progress through. Um, and you've also worked on and released a new white paper written for Schneider Electric uh, about how to design for the dual aspects of sustainability and well-being, which is going to be a really, really good read. Um, well, if you'd um, if you'd like to sort of start a little bit, just to, obviously loads of people know who you are, but for those who are listening in far-flung places of the world, could you just explain, you know, what you do? <laughs> so, so I basically run an architectural and interior design practice called Oliver Heath Design, and our focus is very much on human-centered design. So how we design with human health and well-being in mind first and foremost and that covers on all sorts of different subjects things like air quality water quality how we move around spaces how we sort of nature-based uh, sort of placemaking and particularly the this area of biophilic design which is how we enhance the human connection to nature uh, and natural elements as a means to reduce stress and recuperation put people in a better physical, mental and emotional state, do whatever it is they're supposed to be doing in spaces. So that's that's a kind of real drive and focus. And in amongst the way, you know, we, we impart our researchers and writers, so we collect lots of data and research studies, but also as a design company, we, we put those ideas into practice. So it's about translating, you know, relatively abstract notions that we find in these papers and turning them into sort of beautiful, inspiring spaces for people to live and work in. Fantastic. Um, well, maybe we can have just chat about your book then. So people who want to do it for themselves, as it were, or find out yeah. more about biophilic design. Um, obviously, you said you mentioned it's a hundred ways. You kind of sort of, you know, brought it down to sort of a hundred sort of topics, I suppose. Yeah. Or I hundred. Yeah, we, we, we're very snappy in that one. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, well, I love it because it's uh, it's about um, detoxifying your home as well. I mean, obviously indoor air pollution and there's so many toxins in, in our carpets and our paint, in our paint stuff, um, you know, having natural light and having, you know, air ventilation and stuff. I mean, maybe you could um, tell us a little bit about the book and yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, essentially the book came out of the fact that we recognize that many commercial spaces are, are really starting to focus on health and well-being. And then you've got sort of certification systems like the Well Standard and FitWell and the Living Building Challenge. But many of those applications and processes are focused towards commercial spaces, uh, things like offices or healthcare or education spaces. And what became very, very apparent over a year ago was that our homes are actually incredibly important. And over this last 18 months, have had to incorporate so many more different social, physical, work-related uh, activities that there didn't seem to be enough focus on how we actually create healthy homes, homes that support the physical and mental well-being. And you know, that's what we really wanted to set out and help people understand was that it's much more than you know, putting responsibility onto an employer. It's about recognizing that you know, a space that you spend two thirds of your life in are gonna have a significant impact on your physical, mental, and emotional states. So the book is really going back to the basics for, for the average everyday consumer. And it doesn't matter whether you're renting a house or you own your own home. This is really about how you put physical and mental well-being right at the fore of that design process to create a place that not only reflects you, but it also supports, uh, it supports you in many, many different ways. Mm -hmm. oh, sort of, what's the sort of um, main, one of the main sort of issues that people have in their homes, you know, that the books can, can help with? Well, we, we've broken the book into different chapters. So it is sort of based around a hundred different ways, but it's uh, broken down into different aspects like color, light, sleep, uh, indoor air quality, uh, biophilic design, of course, couldn't leave that one out. Um, so we've broken it down into the different subheadings and each chapter sort of investigates a certain number of those things. Um, a lot of it is about some of the negative issues, the pollutants that we, we don't even know or recognize. You know, and I think increasingly people are understanding that our homes are a place where we spend a lot of time. We obviously do a lot of breathing in there, we do a lot of sleeping. And the quality of air is often significantly worse than outdoor air quality. And the figures do vary dramatically. According to the well standard, uh, indoor air quality, quality can be a hundred times worse mm -hmm. than outdoor air quality. So, you know, it really is a significant issue. And in part, it's come about because our homes have been sealed up with uh, draft excluders and, and UPVC windows. Um, and then at the same time, we've brought in all sorts of toxins in paints, uh, formaldehydes in timbers, brominated fire retardants, volatile organic compounds in finishes. Um, and all of these sort of things are going to be trapped in our home, even, you know, dust trapped in bedding and, and curtains and fabrics and carpets has a significant impact on our breathing difficulties and can lead to asthma uh, and other breathing difficulties. So, yeah, air quality is an enormous issue and it doesn't need to be a complicated approach. There are lots of simple things that you can do. Mm -hmm. oh, can you give us a couple of examples of, of what you can do to make your, your house a, a healthy home? Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it can be really simple. And we try and grade these approaches to the yeah, simplest yeah. things to like, well, if you really want to get involved, this is what you can do. I mean, first of all, you can try and understand a little bit more about the air quality in your home and investigate that quality. You can rent air quality monitors. Um, the simplest things you can do is just open your window. You know, if you live near a main road, try and do that when, when the road is obviously quieter, 
open your window, ventilate your home every single day to balance out moisture and differences. It might be about vacuuming your home on a regular basis to remove toxins that might be heavy in air, like volatile organic compounds or removing dust or particulates. Mm -hmm. Particulates like what we call PM 2.5 and PM 10s. They're like um, the results of, of combustion, you know, from, from cars and diesel, but maybe even like burning candles, which can okay. uh, negatively impact air quality in your home. So vacuuming regularly, ventilating your home, uh, those are the sort of simplest things you can do. You can also stop buying those things that are poisoning your home. You know, so, so uh, you know, don't use paints with volatile organic compounds. There are lots of lovely paints out there that don't have any of those. Um, you can, you know, remove toxins. You can oil wood rather than using sort of heavy, sort of uh, volatile organic compound heavy uh, finishes. It could be that you, you buy secondhand furniture, which already would have off-gassed. Um, you can also introduce plants and greenery. Many plants have been shown to actually remove toxins like formaldehydes and volatile organic compounds. Mm -hmm. So actually putting plants uh, like mother-in-law's tongue uh, or Boston ivy uh, or ferns um, into your home uh, or rica palms are fantastic ways of removing toxins. Um, do need quite a few of them, it should be said. But, you know, if you ask me, there's no harm in having a few more plants around the home. They also modify temperature and humidity, and they just look great as well. They add what we call biophilic fractal pattern. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's so much in the subject that, uh, you know, we, we've written about it extensively in the book. Mm. It's, it looks like it's a beautiful, it looks like beautifully produced yeah. as well. Darling Kindersley. Exactly. Yeah, so inside there are lots of uh, sort of installations. So you know it's not a sort of prescriptive design guide you've got to do this and this we try and leave it at that kind of design stage to say these are the things you should be thinking about if you want to learn more go and research it we touch on almost everything that we think you should be considering when designing a, a home to support your physical and mental well-being um got some beautiful illustrations in there just to keep it kind of light and, and sort of fluid um and it's really about kind of giving you those touch points that you need to consider mm -hmm. Sounds really, really great. So that's that's out now, isn't it? Out now, it came out, you know, just uh, a week ago, and it's available online. Great. All, all your favourite online or even real bookshops if you want to get out, which I think you should do. Absolutely, yeah. I'll, I'll put it. I'll put a link to it anyway on the website, so that on the journalbyfluidesign.com. So if people would like to pop along and visit it, there'll be a hyperlink um, probably to uh, bookshop.org or something. <laughs> not that I'm not that I'm advocating anything or anything, but uh, but yeah, all the bookshops are available. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, great. Um, maybe we should we should uh, have a sort of quick chat about your um, your new course. Yeah. So, so it seems to be that a lot of what we're doing this year is about education yeah. and trying to get the information that we've compiled and collated out there to the general public because we really want to be pushing these ideas. There's no point us kind of holding on to this information and wanting to kind of just own it, contain it. It's far better that we, we sort of bring forward that movement for health and well-being and biophilic design. So uh, with that in mind, we've just launched uh, a new course called Biophilic Design in the Home. Mm -hmm. uh, again, we recognize that, you know, biophilic design is this emerging subject. It's happening in lots of commercial spaces, often places where, where, where people are being paid because there is what we call a you know, business case yeah. for supporting biophilic design. That essentially says, you know, when you have elements of nature in a space, it can reduce stress, aid recuperation, and as a result, has a positive effect in lots of the spaces that are important to our lives. Mm -hmm. So the research has shown that actually, you know, when you have elements of nature, productivity in offices can be increased by between six 
and 15 percent. Uh, absenteeism can be reduced. Rates of learning can be increased at schools. Uh, recuperation rates in hospitals can be improved by 8 percent. So lots of statistics. But what we found was that these ideas have yet to be really translated holistically into the home. So what we've been doing over the last actually sort of 18 months to two years, this is well before the pandemic, was look at how the ideas of biophilic design and all the commercial applications could be reorientated towards our home. Mm -hmm. So we've written this really extensive course that you can, uh, that's available online mm -hmm. to try and get people engaged with you know, the value of biophilic design, help them understand what it is and also how to apply it. Yeah, and who's it for? Who's it aimed at? Is it is it interior designers or? Yeah, I mean, the course is actually more orientated towards a commercial market. So people who are working in, in interior design, but it could be students, it could be kind of new, recent graduates, it might be professionals who are architects, interior designers, or other people involved in the building industry who just want to learn a little bit more. Of course, it's open to anybody that's interested in the power and value of nature, but we've specifically orientated it towards uh, a market that will be able to uh, take the ideas forward. Uh, again, the course isn't prescriptive in as much as we're saying, you know, biophilic design looks like this. What we're really trying to do is tell people that there are a series of what we call patterns or it's a framework of design that you can then apply to your own design aesthetic. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to get people to really develop the ideas for themselves and then apply it with their own sense of taste and identity. Because there are three different levels, yeah? There's kind of like a, what I'm calling a beginner's level, introductory level, and then... Yeah. That's yeah. right. I mean, we try to make it sort of really easy that, so that people can yeah. get involved. So basically, there's, there's a level one, which is the introduction to biophilic design, which explains a little bit about its, here, its history, the evolutionary idea behind it, and the background to biophilic design and where it came from. And, you know, the early kind of writers about it, like Edward O. Wilson and Stephen Keller. Um, and then level two is basically uh, taking that idea forward. Um, so what we then do is we explain what the patterns are behind biophilic design in extensive levels. So there were basically 14 patterns that we described, which includes things about the, the direct references to nature, how we bring real forms of nature in like water and plants and trees and light. Also about the indirect references to nature, which is how we use natural colors, materials, textures and patterns and also something called the human spatial response of how we create buildings that are exciting and stimulating, but also calming and relaxing. And of course, all of those 14 things are incredibly important to the future of the home. Mm. So not only do we explain what those patterns are, but we also go into how those ideas can be applied in all sorts of different ways and different budgets. So that's the level two. And then the level three allows you to do, you know, level one, the introduction, and then level two, and then also have a, a, a consultation session with me. So if you've got a live project and you've been through the course and you want a little bit of you know, further help of how you might apply or realize some of those ideas, there's a sort of consultation session as well. Absolutely fantastic. I think it's really, really needed now. And I think, um, you know, interior designers, architects, urban planners, anybody who's interested in biophilic design and, and the kind of the nuts and bolts of it should, uh, we would benefit from, yeah. from signing up from it. So. It really is, it's just such a fascinating subject. I mean, it, it sort of confirms a lot of the things that many experienced designers and architects already know. And yet I'd never realised that there was an overarching term for why they like to bring nature into buildings and how you can do it. And then also, I think the, 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 the sort of the patterns make it very easy to go, OK, well, let's bring plants and light and let's recognize the sound of water mm -hmm. and, and the sort of increase in humidity. Fire can have some benefit, but also understand 
but as interior designers and architects, that actually our choices of materials and colors can have a significant impact on people's physiological response to that space. Mm -hmm. So I think that the sort of rooting and the grounding of all of this in the evidence base makes it a really compelling case and so fascinating. It just sort of confirms many of those ideas that, that we all knew kind of contributed to creating improved quality of space um, and demonstrates that actually it's a real thing. So I think having all that really arms architects and designers with an ability to confidently go out and go, I understand what biophilic design is and now I'm gonna apply it. And I think what's exciting now is that we're starting to see these ideas being applied to schools, to healthcare, mm -hmm. uh, to hospitality spaces, obviously now more and more to the home and wider residential schemes. So it's really exciting to see this movement taking off and it's great to be part of it. Well, so that leads us in quite nicely, really, to the, uh, the, 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 you know, the white paper and the research that you've done, you, what you've written yeah. uh, with uh, Schneider Electric, which is combining, obviously, what kind of the potential results of creating a biophilic space um, with a sustainable um, outcome, basically. So, um, yeah, yeah, can you tell us a little bit about the kind of points of the, the research and how it was conducted, maybe, and, and sort of what you're hoping is going to be achieved by it? Well, well essentially, We've recognized that for you know, the last 20 years, mm -hmm. when we've talked about sustainable buildings, it's taken a very carbon-centered approach. Uh, and that it's really, really about how we, we uh, reduce the impact, the negative impact of a building uh, on the environment. But now what we're seeing is that it's going further, that there is not just this carbon-centered element, but a human-centered element as well, that really looks around health and well-being. And, and a subsection of that is biophilic design and how we enhance that connection. So, at Olive Heath Design, we've been interested in how we can combine these two approaches because there often seem to be two quite separate things, you know, about reducing the impact of the environment and then about health and well-being. But actually, I think what we've learned over the last year and we're starting to see uncovered more and more is the sort of intrinsic link between these two things mm -hmm. and how we should be designing for sort of both carbon and human-centered well-being. And I think this is a subject that's sort of just going to evolve and evolve more and more. We're gonna see ever tighter connections that they're not separate, that they're totally interconnected. Because essentially, you know, our health and well-being is intrinsically linked to the health and well-being of the planet around us. So if we look after nature, it will equally look after us. So that movement of sustainability has, has, has sort of grown as well. It, it's sort of less about, you know, how do we just minimize the impact, which essentially translates as how do we stop being as bad as we used to be? but it's okay to be a bit bad still. So now thinking, well, actually everything's connected. Mm. We've got to think much more regeneratively. We've got to think holistically and making sure that we, we don't just kind of do less bad, but that we actually start to do good on top of that. Mm. And, and you know, when we start to think about regenerative design, it might be about how we support and nurture the environment, but also how we support and nurture human beings and buildings. So we've basically written a white paper with Schneider Electric, who are, who are a company that's not very well known in the UK, but actually a sort of massive global brand who are, who are actually internationally recognized as leaders in the field of sustainability. So they have, you know, an enormous sense of history and backing and experience in how to mitigate uh, sort of carbon intensive building practices. So we've been working with them to look at the home of the future, um, looking at some of the issues that are going on to do with climate crisis and biodiversity loss, uh, how we're starting to see sort of systems thinking, which essentially is, you know, how does one thing one, in one place of the world affect somebody else in another part of the world and understand that everything's connected. 
So we've been looking at that and the rise of health and well-being and conscious consumerism as being some of these kind of issues or trends that are coming up and then looking at how those trends might start to affect the home of the future. And again, we're not being prescriptive. What we're trying to do is just get to get people to engage with this idea that even a single home has the potential to have a positive impact. And that might just be a tiny drop in the ocean. But if we can start to encourage the understanding, the communication, and that, that wider movement, then we're going to start to have some, some greater benefit. Absolutely. Um, and how can people read it? You know, how can people um, get hold of this white paper? Is that is it published yet or is it still on? Yeah, it's published. It's online. So if you, uh, if you Google Schneider Electric and Oliver Heath, uh, mm -hmm. you'll see a link that pops up. And maybe you can put a link in your, uh, your website. Yeah. So um, it's a really fascinating paper. It'll take you like, you know, 20 minutes to read. But I think there are lots of, there's an awful lot of fantastic statistics in there about the impact our homes are having at the moment. Mm -hmm. And that some of the movements that are going on around systems thinking, and conscious consumerism, and how that's affecting our lives in the home. And then a, a sort of a, a real dive into, you know, what are the opportunities and what will home of the future really look like? And I think that's going to surprise quite a lot of people because we're not being really prescriptive, but it is about raising some of these wider ideas about what that home of the future might be. Mm -hmm. So essentially, you know, some of the things that we talk about is how homes are becoming more electrified. We're seeing, you know, the increase in use of electric vehicles and how people are storing energy. Uh, homes are becoming more efficient, and generative by harnessing and creating renewable energy, more personalized and controlled, more robust, resilient, and flexible. So there are some like there's some really big ideas there that I think is going to spark a change in the way that people think about the way they live at home and the way that they design for home as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think people are wanting to make more conscious decisions to improve their their family home, their life, their workspace. Obviously, they've been locked in locked up for uh, for the best part of a year. Well, exactly. I mean, it's you know for all the terrible things that have happened, without doubt, this has been, mm. you know, a kind of a global reset has happened. It has given us the time and the space just to stop, pause and reflect about what is going on. Because this, this, this global pandemic has its roots in sustainability and the invasion of natural habitats and biodiversity loss and the system's connectivity that's resulted from it and the spread of the virus, you know, it, it's without a doubt you know, uh, uh, a part of um, our impact on the environment and, and it's sort of come back to bite us. And, and I think we've had that opportunity to rethink, rethink, to reflect. And we're starting to see the seeds of change happening in all sorts of ways, even in the local, uh, national uh, um, local elections recently, there have been, you know, significant gains in uh, the support for more sustainable political practices and parties. And that is uh, without a doubt a trend that's you know, set to continue. Yeah, exactly. I mean, people, you know, there's a whole, loads of stuff in the papers and the press saying that oh, you know, we're getting out more, we're walking in nature, we're appreciating yeah. nature more. Um, there was an article in the Resurgence magazine uh, this time, um, the ecologist, and uh, and it, there was a call for um, a sort of a sacred Sunday um, for whatever, whatever, it doesn't matter what religion you are, but, but to have like a nature kind of time out sort of thing where everything just stops and slows. And, you know, even if we go back to the crazy life that we had before the whole, this, 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 you know, as you said, it was sort of terrible, terrible things have happened, but actually this stopping, this slowing down, this kind of appreciating what's around us on a local level as well. Um, I think that it would be quite... really is interesting, that, that, that sense of slowing down. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've noticed it here 
yeah. because I haven't got all my staff in my office everyone's sort of dotted around mm. and we have sort of regular sort of online calls mm. but it's just meant that I've had that time to spend more more you know more attention looking at my plants uh, mm. nurturing them and watering them and mm. tending to them and checking for the little signs and just the sort of slowing down of my pace in the office has meant that I've had much more time to pay those plants attention and, and look at the little messages that they're giving me mm. and I think that's been just a really fascinating thing and, and, and as you may be able to see a lot of the plants in the office are now thriving quite healthily <laughs> as a result of it but I think that reflects in all levels of society where people have just got out into nature and have, have really connected with it whether it's uh, you know growing a pot plant on a windowsill tending to their garden or being out with a new pet mm. out in nature without a doubt people are more deeply connected to nature and recognizing the role that it plays in their lives mm. and I think from that comes that sort of that stepping stone to recognizing that actually nature is fundamentally important for the wider uh, sort of ongoing healthy um, continuation of the human race you know it sort of expands up so we do have this sort of stepping stone or catalyst like quality for for recognizing the value and importance of nature in our lives. Mm, yeah um well you know I, I'm, I'm quite optimistic i have to say i'm trying you know i, I think uh, there is a you know even hard stalwarts of oh no what do i want plants in the office for and oh you know it's all touchy-feely it's all tree huggery i think there's there's actually people realize oh, hang on a minute when, when they went on holiday they would go they might go skiing or they might go to the beach or whatever it is but they realize oh hang on a minute yeah there is a something in there so i don't feel so silly as well implementing it you know i'm talking about some of these corporates who have kind of really entrenched in the whole which is obviously the ones who have the, the big budgets for making the biggest impact potentially um but uh, i think they're more open-minded well, i mean it, it goes beyond having budget it's about putting people first you know yeah. and in these times um inevitably we're going to be experiencing some level of post-traumatic stress when we come back it is going to be a bit of a party but then you know there is that anxiety and you can't get over something as big as this without some bumps in the road and, 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 the, and the impact of pe people's sort of mental well-being. So I think uh, increasingly companies are recognizing that you don't need to have massive budgets to have a few plants to recognize that people need a bit of time out, a bit of space, fresh air, light in connection with nature to be happier and, and as a result ease their way back into work and hopefully be more productive and creative. And I think what we are seeing back in the workplace is that um, People aren't being expected to go back five days a week. And so there's a re-evaluation of what the office means and actually a recognition that it's so great to get back to just having conversations and communicating and being creative on a on a face-to-face -face basis. Absolutely. Um, I mean, sort of maybe picking up then on, on the sort of combination of uh, sustainability and design and, 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 and what we can do with the planet. Um, if we can chat about the interior design, the Claire's concept, can you yes. tell us what that is and, and how people can get involved in that? Who can get involved with that for a start? Mm -hmm. yeah. So we've recently um, uh, launched, along with a, a series of other uh, founding signatories, um, this group, interiordesign.declares.co.uk. And it uh, was inspired by Architects Declare, which launched about 18 months ago. And essentially what we've recognised is that the interior design industry has a role to play in mitigating the impact of climate crisis and biodiversity loss. I think for too long, the interior design industry has seen itself as being, you know, above it. You know, we're very much about the luxury market. We don't need to worry about that. That won't affect us, but it's not good enough. You know, every purchase, every choice, every decision, every refurbishment, every connection with a person 
has an impact. And the interior design industry needs to, to step up to the plate and go, yeah, we recognize that we have a role, we have an opportunity, we have a place to play and, and a voice to discuss how the buildings in our lives affect us and affect the planet. And so we set up uh, interiordesigndeclares.co.uk as a means to gather people together, to get people to pledge to act in a more climate and biodiversity responsible way. Essentially, it's just a pledge. You sign up uh, to our 12 point pledge to essentially support the climate in your decisions and the way that you act and the way that you treat people. Um, and that's it, and you're part of a group and you're connected. And the plan is that we will be uh, running activities and, and setting up uh, talks and events uh, and linking and sharing information as to how people can do that. Um, we've already had 70 uh, design companies and material suppliers sign up. So, you know, we've been off to a fantastic start in just two months. So it's a really, really good start. And, you know, it's fantastic to be part of something with other like-minded people who go like, yeah, we should be doing something. It's not okay just to sit back and imagine that the, pl the planet is gonna look after itself or, or that we don't need to care about what happens once we, we've done our stuff and, and fled the planet. You know, we need to look into the future. So this is an opportunity to do that. We're not gonna be chasing people. We're not gonna be haranguing them to do more, but it is about resetting your focus and going, okay, well, in the next year, I'm gonna do these three things. And the year after that, inspired by these people, I'm gonna start measuring my carbon footprint. And as a result of that, after that, I'm gonna ask for every company to supply an environmental product declaration form to make sure that every product I purchase, if it's timber, comes from a renewable source. And it's just a series of little steps, but it's, it's maybe just signing up to the pledge is the first thing you need to do to go, okay, I'm gonna start doing something. You know, no, don't worry about what's happened in the past. Now is the time. Well, I suppose, um sort of the final question really um which i asked you before when we when we chatted um but kind of an update on that because so much has happened and you've um i think you're um you're like a, a steamroller of good for the, <laughs> no, for the for the planet and for, for homes and um no no you are and um, my website we're just steamrollers good <laughs> <laughs> steamrollers for good exactly all good, all good. okay yeah yeah, yeah. um but um, yeah, so I mean, obviously people listening to the, you know, the, the podcast will know that I always ask this question. If you could brush the world with this, you know, this magic brush of biophilia, what would it look like? Well, I think our, our brush has just got a little bit bigger. You know, it's no longer okay just to say, we're gonna fill the world with plants and places that connect us back to nature. We've got to link people to what that means, to, to, to get them to think not just bigger than the plant on their desk or on their balcony or in their garden, but to start to think in a more sort of systems-based way. The recognizing that every choice, every purchase, every activity has some impact. And each of those choices can be made in a way that enhances the quality of life on the planet that is regenerative. So my brush, would be about creating more regenerative ways, places that are better for people and better for the planet and get over that idea that we should be doing just less bad, but actually be doing good with every choice that we make. Thank you for listening to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast.